Oh, hey, it's you again. Welcome back to Getting It Out Podcast. Whether you're a frequent listener or even just a first timer, I want to thank you for clicking on the episode. I know there's a lot of options, a lot of podcasts to pick through and listen to. And this time you chose Getting It Out. If you like what you hear on this episode or maybe what you've heard in the past, I want to ask you to consider joining the gettingitout.net Patreon, where you'll get early ad-free access to interviews, sometimes weeks before they air. It only costs $2 a month, and hey, once you set it up, it's like making beef jerky in the 90s. You set it, and you forget it. You'll get email updates each time I post an episode exclusive to the Patreon. And though the cost is low for you, your support makes a huge impact on what I can continue to do with gettingitout.net and Getting It Out podcast. If you're interested, check the link in the show notes or head over to patreon.com slash gettingitoutpodcast. Thanks for hearing me out, and enjoy this episode of the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today.
Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Getting It Out podcast. That was Brainwaves with Inside Out. That's from their demo 2022, which was released earlier this year. Note the 2022. You can find that on Bandcamp. You can also find links to all things Brainwaves on gettingitout.net. Just go to the corner, hit the magnifying glass, type in Brainwaves, or just check the links on this podcast, and you will find their page, their information. That's where you can learn more about Brainwaves. Though I'm going to guess Brainwaves took their name from a Trapped Under Ice song, Brainwaves. Trapped Under Ice, of course, famously brought the word Nishinga to the vocabulary of hardcore kids in in the 2000s, which of course came from the Baltimore hardcore band Next Step Up. And that's what we're talking about today. More Baltimore hardcore, wouldn't you know it? That's what we do here at Getting It Out Podcast. Frequently, I would say. This week, we're talking to J.R. Glass, vocalist of Next Step Up, and many, many, many other hardcore bands, metal bands, oi bands from Baltimore, Maryland. But this time around, we're sticking to Next Step Up, and I'm happy to have him, happy to bring this conversation to you on Getting It Out Podcast. But first, Hot Zone with the Getting It Out Podcast intro song. Yeah, what's good, all you bitches and bitches? It's the illustrious Hot Zone, back at it again with another podcast intro. He said, oh, you want to do a podcast intro for the Getting It Out Podcast? He said, oh, shit, I got to write a rap first, don't I? He said, no, you don't got to write a rap first. The Hardcore Podcast said, all right, I think I can maybe make that happen. Let's see what we can do. Kick it. Make family out of friends, make friends out of enemies. Peace to my family, make friends till they bury me. All the places we've been, we never sitting it out. We be getting it in, where you getting it out? I said all the places we've been, we never sitting it out. We be getting it in, where you getting it out? Even any part-time listener of Getting It Out podcast has heard me rave at length about my love for Baltimore, Maryland, and specifically the hardcore scene within it. I've probably repeated the same stories over and over about the fun I had while living in that city, the scars, both emotional and uh, physical, that I acquired while living there, the uh, nights spent in Johns Hopkins Hospital, sometimes for myself, sometimes for someone else. Uh, usually those nights, those stays <laughs> at the world-famous hospital were post-hardcore show. Uh, whether that was because the partying went on too long, too hard, too late, or because somebody caught one while a band was playing. Probably Stout or Next Step Up, maybe Trapped Under Ice. You know, it could have been pretty much any hardcore band who was playing in Baltimore at that time because it felt like every show was a night that could end badly but in a way that you might not mind you might you might expect it you might accept it and uh, that was part of the thrill of living there when I did now would I go back there now live that way this way in my late 30s absolutely not no way in hell but my mid-20s that's where it was that's what I loved and there were nights that I won't forget that I can't believe I remember like the night a show started I think at 11 p.m. and it was at Pablo's Warehouse which was a place where we practiced, some of our bands practiced. My band, Pleasant Living, practiced down the hall. And my guest on this episode of the podcast, J.R. Glass, his band, Bet the Devil, I want to say they were doing at the time, practiced down the 
a haul in the other direction. Calling any of this a haul is a is <laughs> is an exaggeration. It was just it was a big warehouse and there were rooms. And uh, HR from the Bad Brains lived in one of the rooms nearby. And though I never spotted him on my uh, visits to the practice space, sometimes people would catch him there holding a white baby or uh, wearing a sumo suit and a blonde wig. That's just the way it was. That was Baltimore at the time, and that's what was going on at Pablo's Warehouse. But tonight, the night that I'm talking about, Next Step Up was playing a warm-up show. It was almost a reunion show. I don't remember if they had played recently, but it was definitely a warm-up show for a tour of some sort, a show they were going to play somewhere. I don't remember exactly. It's funny that I can remember the details uh, about the night, but not, <laughs> not, to, not the events surrounding it. And it was just a cool experience in Baltimore hardcore. Uh, if you were an outsider, I don't think you were there. It didn't seem like that type of show. It seemed like a show for the people that live there. And I was lucky enough to live there at the time. And we stayed up late. We drank at this, what do you call it, a speakeasy? It wasn't like a, a real speakeasy, but it was a, a bar that was operating out of a warehouse. And all of it was illegal. And it was cool. And there was one band that opened. And then there was Next Step Up. And it was just a weird, cool night in Baltimore hardcore. But what really made the show special was the fact that Next Step Up was playing. Probably the most prolific Baltimore hardcore band that ever existed. And arguably, arguably, the heaviest. I know a few eyebrows wearing duck motherfucker shirts just shot up. But here's the thing. They weren't the first. That's gut instinct. They weren't the most uh, fabled or mythical. That's, of course, stout. They didn't have the biggest impact. That was trapped under ice. They didn't tour the most, that's probably Ruiner. They weren't the most controversial, that's definitely Backhand. They weren't the most polarizing, that was Pulling Teeth. But yet they remained a persistent, consistent, and dominant force of Baltimore hardcore. And I know I'm not the only one who feels that way. I asked Richie Crutch of Box Cutter, Wisdom and Chains, Z9, what his favorite Baltimore hardcore song was, and here's what he told me. In this age of quarrel... <laughs> Where man destroys himself. Yo, that's this. I mean, that was on. That was my kind of introduction to any Baltimore bands because of that compilation, and I loved it. Like to me, like next step up, I was like, wait a minute, this is like the kind of stuff I like. Because most of the time, I would guess stuff, and it'd be like too fast, or the singer would be too high vocal, you know. Yeah. But next step up in that particular song was that song was the key. That type of reverence, it's not just isolated to the hardcore scene. I asked Mark Clopel of Misery Index what his favorite Baltimore hardcore band is, and uh, here's what he had to say. When you think of Baltimore hardcore, what is the band that comes to your mind first? Next Step Up. Why is that? Because uh, we know those guys. Yeah, <laughs> we know those dudes. And, you know, uh, Bruce Grieg was also in our band at one point. Right. And uh, I wasn't in the band with him, but... Uh, when I first joined the band, he was like, he was around a lot. Like, we just like, he, he was just in the scene at shows or at the practice space or whatever. Like, he was still going to the same practice space with Ryan and, you know, jamming um, in a band called Covenants, uh, which my homie Derek, also from Caps of Stone, like, played in. So uh, I think I made that connection <laughs> with those guys. <laughs> and uh, yeah, dude, he recently passed and we missed him. And, he was always like the riff meister and a killer guitar player, and uh, yeah, dude. So yeah, if you ask me, <laughs> who the who the Baltimore hardcore band is, next step up, one hundred percent. And they are like a heavy inspiration for like Jason and John when they were doing like Dying Fetus together. And um, yeah, dude. 
So quite obviously, for those in the know, Next Step Up is a band worth loving. And if you're not familiar with them, I hope this episode is a thorough introduction and you will check out what they've been doing for many, many years. But first, I got to play you a song and I got to go with the number one worldwide hit, Bringing Back the Glory from Fall From Grace on Gain Ground Records. Where has it JR, when the hell did you first get interested and figure out about punk rock and hardcore? 
Wow. Um, in probably when I was in ninth and tenth grade, I started listening to punk and uh, the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. <clears throat> and by like tenth and eleventh grade, I had discovered a place in Baltimore City, um, the Utah Street Clubhouse, and also known as Jules's Loft. And there were shows like every weekend, so I was going every weekend to shows just to see bands and. Uh, that became um, my introduction, my indoctrination, and I've not left since. So you got you got um, involved locally pretty quickly, right? Yes. Um, well, I, I, looking back, it seems pretty quickly. But, you know, when you're 17, 18, 19, it all seems like it's happening so quickly. But uh, by like... Uh, by the time I think I was 20, 21, I was definitely booking shows and contributing to zines um, way before I was in Next Step Up. What were the band? Who was the big local bands or what were the local bands in Baltimore when you were getting involved? Oh, man, there were a couple of great ones. Um, Crack was a great local band here. Uh, of course, Gut Instinct, I think. You know, between those two bands, they really helped kind of solidify an angry, kind of groovy, metally sound that mixed with punk ethos. And uh, uh, I used to, me and a bunch of our friends, like, you know, Tad from Stout and my boy Sammy, a bunch of old uh, crew, we used to go around with uh, the guys from Gut Instinct and kind of roadie for them and just be wild, crazy, young, anti-racist skinheads. Um so I think they were the biggest bands at the time. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Crack, and that's one I'm not too familiar with. Despite all my familiarity with Baltimore hardcore, I of course know Gut Instinct, but Crack I think is one that not a lot of people know about. Can you tell me a little about them? Um, sure. Geez, gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of the record they have. Uh, my boy Joe Robinson uh, was in the band. Um, Jeff Shepard sang. Uh, God, I'm trying to remember the name of the record label that they were on, but uh, they were definitely more on the punk side of hardcore. This was right around the time um, I'd say Gut Instinct started to define more of a metally hardcore sound, but mm -hmm. uh, the guys from Crack were definitely, you know, playing lots of shows, getting out, doing road tours. Uh, friends of ours were roadie for them. Uh, Jeff, the singer, was booking shows um, at, at the time also around Baltimore. So um, definitely one of the, the bands that was plugged into the scene back in the day. What 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 time period are you talking about here? Are you talking late 80s, mid 80s? Where are we at? Yeah, I'm talking probably 86, 87, uh, right around the time Gun Instinct was kicking off. It was probably 89. So in that time frame. And then, uh, of course, in the 90s is when uh, Next Step Up started. Uh, but, you know, during that time frame, it did in the arc of, you know, my life, that was a very short period of time. But at the time it seemed like, you know, we're old school. We've been in the scene for five years, you know, and looking back now, it's kind of, um, you know, it was juvenile to think that, but, um, you know, uh, it was a, a fun time. A lot was going on. No, I think I always think it's funny to think, to think back on how things seemed like a long time back then. I, I often bring up a story uh, of sitting in my backyard 
when I lived on Chester Street, which you've been there. A lot of people have been there. Whatever. We had used to have some pretty decent parties there. But anyway, it was a morning after a show. And I was sitting there with uh, Aaron from Death Threat. And we were saying, I was, I think, like 25 at the time. And I was going, man, I didn't think I would be still going to hardcore shows when I'm 25. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, motherfucker, I'm 40. And now, you know, both of us still to this, that was how many years ago now? And, uh, you know, I'm sure you can understand what I'm saying. Like, the, like it's like, yeah, you, you don't think you'd be in it for so long. And then suddenly you're still here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think, you know, uh, I, and I think of, you know, so many people over the years that have come and gone, uh, especially people that were really into it for whatever period of time they were really into yeah, it. And, yeah. Uh, they didn't last. So, um, we're still here though. That's right. Well, um, so next step up. So next step up, you were not an original member of next step up, correct? How did you come to get involved with next step up? Sure. Um, so, uh, the guys, Mike, uh, and Aaron, who were the two primary founding members of the band went to the same high school that I went to, but I had just graduated when they were like freshmen. And my little brother was, uh, you know, well-known in the local community in the scene and mm -hmm. he was still in school. So they kind of, you know, knew him and I was booking shows so they would come to the shows that I would book and, you know, they had their band, the corrupted that they were doing uh, before uh, next step up. And I would go to see them. And uh, then uh, my friend, uh, Dave Hunt, Bach Dave was singing for them. He was the original singer. And I guess they had a falling out or whatever. I mean, they're all still friends, uh, but it just didn't work out. So they had a mutual friend and they said, Hey, ask JR if you see him, if he'd be interested um, in trying out for the band. Um, but I wasn't, I didn't think that uh, <laughs> I didn't, see myself as a singer. I like to be the guy that, you know, booked the shows and, you know, was a, a maniac, you know, <laughs> but uh, I never thought of myself um, as a front man. So uh, time went by maybe a couple of months and I would had booked a few more shows and I saw uh, that mutual friend again. And I told her, Oh, you know, I wish I would have tried out, you know, I now I wish I would have done that. And uh, they, she immediately called Mike and Aaron who had not yet found a singer. And we, got together and immediately it, it kind of worked out. And the first show uh, that uh, we played, I sang half the set and Dave Hunt sang half the set. So it was like a goodbye to Dave, welcome JR. And uh, it's been a blast ever since. That's cool. I don't think I don't think in all the shows I've been to, I've ever seen like a passing of the torch like that. I've seen like the old singer comes up to do a couple songs, but never, never the mid set. Like, here's the new guy. That's very cool. Yeah, it was. I thought so at the time as well. So what year is that? Really when, cool. when is this happening? Dave, the singer Dave, yeah. his son, Dave Jr., has a band now called Anthem for Slaughter. Uh, check them out if you get the opportunity. A local uh, metal band. They're amazing. They do their own uh, original music, and it sounds like uh, like 80s death thrash. It's, it's a great band, and it's really cool to see the next generation carrying the torch. I'm going to step out on a limb here and see if I remember who this is exactly. I remember Dave's kids coming around and hanging out down at Fells when they were pretty young, I guess. And uh, I feel like his son was really into Peter Chris from Kiss. Is that, do I have the right guy? Uh, I'm sure. 
I'm sure. Yeah. Dave is a drummer. Uh, Chota Dave, we used to call him, but now he goes by David. Yep. And he's the drummer. Um, he's amazing too. I mean, you know, full on double bass giant kit and he, um, he gets it out, man. He's a, it's a great to see him doing it. I've seen them play multiple times now. That's awesome. Well, when you, when you take over for next step up, what year are we talking here? Oh, geez. When the hell was that? You got to put me on the spot, man. Um, oh, yeah. Well, you can make it up. Nobody's going to fact check you. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> I think it was 91, maybe. 91. So were you, would you consider, you, you said you're booking shows, you're going to shows. Would you have considered yourself like fully immersed? And like what was happening in Baltimore hardcore then? Because there's next step up. And I think you got a little bit of overlap with, uh, with gut instinct there. So what, what else is going on in the scene? Sure. So, um, you know, freshly out of high school, running crazy with all my uh, aggro, anti-racist skinhead friends, you know, beating up Nazis, having, you know, just this wild, crazy. um, It was a scene that was like 24 seven. And we were we would love going to shows. You know, um, my friend and former roommate, uh, John, from uh, Cornerstone Records, was booking a lot of shows in D.C. And he had just moved to Baltimore. And I was like, hey, man, let me help you book some shows. I want to get in. How can I, you know, become a contributing part of the scene? You know, I was already um, uh, working on trying to do some stuff for zines, scene reports kind of thing. So we started booking shows with John um, in D.C., actually. And uh, then I started booking shows in Baltimore. It was strangely easier to do shows in dc because you would get all these kids from the virginia and maryland suburbs that would come as well as some dc kids but if you did it in baltimore it was like you get all the baltimore kids but those kids from northern virginia and dc they didn't they didn't come to baltimore so um you know i book shows at places like St. Stephen's Church, uh, WST Radio Hall, which is now obviously uh, 9.30, the Wilson Center, um, Club Asylum. We would kind of go from venue to venue, oftentimes, you know, getting shut down because of the chaos that would erupt um, and moving to the next. It was like the scene would always get ruined. There would always be fights eventually. So we'd have, uh, you know, we get to run maybe a dozen shows at a place and then, you know, have to find another venue. So there was a lot of um, a lot of involvement in the scene. Um, There was no such thing as the Internet. So, you know, it was like constantly handing out flyers. I was always going to shows and going to record stores around the area, putting out flyers. Um, So it was like a full time job, it seems like looking back. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned a couple times uh, being a part of uh, anti-racist skinheads and having to deal with Nazis. How how prevalent was that problem back there? How how like because we talked a little bit about this before. My involvement in Baltimore hardcore, I never saw them because apparently they were already eradicated. Right. So how 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 much was it a problem? How much of an issue was that back then in the early nineties or maybe late eighties with the Nazis and, and uh, Baltimore? Yeah, it was it was definitely a problem. There was a contingent on the east side, mostly of Baltimore, 
bash the Baltimore Aryan skinheads, I think they used to call themselves. And, uh, you know, uh, it was weird because the Baltimore scene never used to have like all those divisions and everything back at the loft. And, you know, eventually over time, I don't know how some of these people became like Nazis, but mm-hmm. it was people that we had known uh, from going to shows. <clears throat> and then we were just like, wait a minute. Uh, this was back when like uh, on TV, Geraldo Rivera had a show with skinheads and they, he, they, he got his nose broken by some skinheads. Yeah, yeah. There. So there was definitely a lot of focus around um, skinheads. And of course it was all, Hey, all skinheads are Nazis. And we're like, wait a minute. Me and my friends are definitely not. So, you know, we're like, well, we're, so take it upon ourselves to make sure that we clean up the scene. You know, people are going to think we're Nazis. So we got to go kick these guys asses and make sure they don't come around. These ding dongs used to come around and pass out literature, you know, oh, come and join the Aryan race and try to recruit people. I mean, it was really weird back in the day. Um, thank God that, you don't have to deal with that kind of shit anymore. Not like it's an eradicated problem. It's just not really in the scene anymore. But yeah, they used to come to shows in vans and try to jump people out front. And, you know, they, we knew where they lived. They knew where we hung out. We would, you know, there was rolling street battles and it's, and it's funny if you listen to the lyrics of like gut instinct, some of their lyrics are, talking about the times we were living like bats bottles bodies blood violence police <laughs> really clubs that was like what we were living on the streets with these you know dudes every weekend it was like oh let's go find out where the other crew is at it was kind of like you know teenage angst with gang wars fighting in the streets you know yeah yeah and i know how uh, i know how that can uh, somehow be exhilarating and fun and uh quickly get old though but <laughs> yeah really especially if you try to get anything accomplished you know um if you were trying to build a scene and book shows you know that was the old, always the other problem with you know violence would break out of the show somebody would show up that was a nazi and something would happen and i oh, can't use that venue anymore so uh, a lot of um you know, the challenge that we were dealing with trying to find places to do venues for shows had to deal in some respects with the violence from the, the Nazis back in the day and just general teenage gangs violence, you know. <laughs> is that what is that part of the reason that led you to do a lot of shows in DC? Was it because it, it was such a problem in Baltimore? Um I don't think that we shied away from them in Baltimore. Again, why I did more shows in D.C. is there was more of a hardcore scene there. I could book a show. Right. My yeah, first, the first show I booked with John was uh, at St. Stephen Church, and it was Sick of It All, Gut Instinct, Worlds Collide, and it was butts to nuts, like 700 people packed in this tiny, sweaty venue and that was the only show i ever made money on in fact it's kind of funny i look back at that and it was like wow you know this is gonna be great i can actually make money doing this but um you know uh i the biggest show i did in baltimore i could pack the clubs in baltimore where where we were uh able to get shows but you know the bigger venues weren't really dealing with hardcore there was like um Oh gosh, what the hell? Uh, Hammerjacks. It's funny the time right. we finally got to play at Hammerjacks. We played there. Um, oh shit, who was it? Uh, Grip Incorporated and um, Ooh, Dave Lombardo. What's that? Dave Lombardo's band. 
Right. So uh, at the time, our drummer uh, was a huge Slayer fan, like who wouldn't be? Right. And <laughs> the best part of that show was he got to look over and watch Dave Lombardo rocking out while he was playing Next Step Up. So he was like, man, this is like a, one of the best shows. I'll, I'll never forget this show. Um, but um, yeah, then, then that venue got shut down and it was like, man, there was a spot, the Rage, that was probably a five, 600 capacity club. Uh, we started playing shows there that were packed and sold out. Then they got shut down. It was just like, Harder to get a, a decent sized venue to do shows in Baltimore. And um, again, the kids from DC wouldn't travel to Baltimore to come to shows. Um, could have been because of the Nazis. It could have just been because it's Baltimore and there were enough knuckleheads that uh, uh, if you've ever been to stout shows, we used to say, is it really a stout show unless somebody gets in a fight? <laughs> I'd, I'd say the answer is no to that. I don't. I, I mean, I'm sure. It's, I'm sure we've both been through those shows. I'm sure it's happened, but it's much more regular that uh, there's some kind of uh, extracurricular violence, and uh, you know, you just come to expect that. Exactly. <laughs> well, okay. and it's easier to do shows in DC. <laughs> it's funny. I would always hire. Uh, my friends who I knew were the most likely ones to go down and start some shit anyway to do security. So I'm like, ha, there, uh, I don't have to worry about you starting a fight. Uh, you'll make sure nothing happens. So um, it was all the, the old CCS crew you would see doing security at all these shows uh, that we booked in DC. Yeah. Well, tell me about the CCS crew because that's, there's a couple of you guys left, but what, what was CCS crew? What is CCS crew? Well, <laughs> uh, you know, it was a hardcore crew back in the day. We Baltimore is known as Charm City. So uh, Charm City Skins, the CCS crew, um, uh, we were just really tied into the scene, virally anti-racist. Most of us were skins. Uh, it's funny, my brother uh, had a mohawk and then a long ponytail and would wear his uh, skinhead hat all the time to taunt the people that didn't know <laughs> that he was in the is, crew. Uh, is he the one with the big Baltimore tattoo across his back? Yes, he is. That's right. <laughs> I, know, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, it was just a, a bunch of friends that uh, loved hardcore, loved going to shows, um, loved drinking and fighting with Nazis and you know, just, uh, you know, a lot of uh, teenage angst and testosterone, I think. Um, but uh, uh, those people were like family and we still hang out. You know, I, it's funny. Uh, we were just talking about how our kids are what, what age our kids are. And yeah. uh, my boy Tad has kids my age, my boy Sammy. So a bunch of the old crew are all now old dads <laughs> whose kids are like cousins. So, you know, we still hang out um, as family and um, it started through hardcore. Well, yeah, I think, uh, I think I just saw you were with uh, Mr. Martinek uh, within the last week, which is very cool. And of course he yeah, yeah. Uh, is, was, was in, is in, was, is, always has been, I think in next step up. And when, when you guys start really playing, when does that, when do you start getting out of Baltimore or when do you start more, I guess, better question is when do you start feeling like this thing's picking up? Oh, uh, yeah, that's a great question. I think um, 
I don't know if this was intentional when they asked me to, to sing for the band, but they knew I was booking all the shows. So I was, you know, uh, shamelessly self-promoting. I would put uh, next step up on typically most bills opening up for other bands. So um, we first put a demo together and we pass it around, you know, Aaron and Mike and, you know, all their friends were a little younger than my friends. So, um, it, it kind of spread more like wildfire among the younger crowd. And it's funny, my older friends who, you know, were into gut instinct and all, but many of them had started to have kids of their own, started to, you know, not always come around as much into the scene. We, the first next step up shows was always like, Oh, Oh shit. You know, some of these young kids that really love the band are going to swing on the wrong old head. And, you know, there were many um, de-escalation moments. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. It's uh, early on, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it kind of took off really quickly. I, I was surprised. I think um, we put out a really high quality sounding eight song cassette and uh, we were relentless. We'd stand out in front of shows. Hey, you want to buy a cassette? You know, just really you know, trying to spread the word, you know, passing out flyers and people started to see us. And um, it, it went from there. Frankly, we, we never thought we'd, you know, play anywhere, but Baltimore and DC shows that I booked. And um, well, we ended up getting on a compilation, um, <clears throat> East Coast Assault. And that was um, heard by uh, a company, uh, a record label in Germany that was starting a label called Gangground. And they reached out and said, hey, we want to put out uh, your, your stuff, a full length record. And so we were all like shocked. Whoa, whoa. They, you know, we never <laughs> thought we'd play outside of Aaron's mom's basement at first. And, you know, the few shows that I would book for us in Baltimore and D.C. Um, but it just kind of took off probably quickly in like 92, 93. By 94, we were putting out um, uh, the first EP on Gangground Records. So um, went pretty fast for a, a while and then kind of waned and ebbs and flows. And, you know, we can't say, uh, we can't say, never say no. We still enjoyed getting together and playing. Well, those, uh, those early to mid 90s, you, you released quite a few uh, different, records i guess cds seven inches not seven inches i guess uh, eps uh lps a couple demos couple cassette like it's a lot of, it's a lot of material for seven years uh really and you mentioned some of the stuff on gain ground um i know fall for grace definitely came came there uh breaking point uh the intent to kill which one was first heavy was heavy the first record 
Heavy was the first record, yeah. And that was not on a major label. That was our friend Conan. Uh, gosh, what the hell was the label? Oh, um, ah, I'm, uh, I'm drawing a blank, but I'll remember the label. And I think we did a thousand copies and sold them at shows, you know, for like three bucks, four bucks. <laughs> and it was really funny to, to think about. Um, that was right around the time that CDs started to get popular. So all of a sudden, nobody was buying vinyl. And I was sitting on like cases of these 12 inch records. And uh, I'm at a Super Bowl of Hardcore in DC trying to sell them for really, uh, you know, like, hey, give me five bucks. Uh, Rick to Life was there. And I sold him like, you know, for $2 a pop, you know, like a dozen, the uh, next step up uh, heavy. Um, 12 inches. Uh, then they went off to Japan. We went to Japan like a year later and kids were coming to the shows like, Hey, we want to grab these records for us. And we're like, wow, how'd you get a 12 inch of heavy? And they're like, Oh, Rick was here. Um, we paid 50 bucks for these things. And I'm like, Holy shit. You know, it was, uh, it was really, uh, inspiring, but eye opening. But, uh, that had been kind of our, our MO. We put it out on a, a format, uh, that's not popular and then CDs get popular. So we put out CDs and then people want to go to cassette tapes or digital, you know, it's just like, <laughs> always a day late and a dollar short. Well, I know the, I know you haven't put out anything uh, new in a while, but you did do the uh, the was it would it, would it be considered a discography CD uh, before your Japan tour, the twenty year anniversary yeah, CD? Yeah, it was. It was a it was a twenty year anniversary CD that our friends um, from San Makoto uh, put out after Bass Records, um, and it preceded a tour that we did over there um, in twenty eleven. I remember that. I remember that pretty well, actually. But let's go back. Let's go back in time a, a little more. Um, do you feel like there was a a certain release? We just talked about a few of them: "Fall from Grace," "Intent to Kill," "Heavy," "Breaking Point." Was there was there one of those in particular where you felt like uh, people really latched onto, or that got you the most recognition? You know, I was surprised anybody bought anything, <laughs> to be honest. Like I said, we we never thought uh, what we were doing in a basement in Aaron's mom's house was going to be popular elsewhere. But I think maybe because at the time, Game Ground Records was kind of taken off and the um, intent to kill um, EP was out. Um, I think that coinciding with um, us putting L.A. Story on uh, the East Coast Assault Comp kind of was we, we caught a wave at, at the moment so i'd say probably intent to kill gave us a lot of hype that was the first uh ep and seven inch uh, mini cd and seven inch we put out on game ground records well the uh you mentioned the compilation a couple of times and there's the other comp that i that i know always remember you guys being on the, the call for unity east coast hardcore comp How, what was do you feel like compilations were um, a bigger deal back then and a lot and, and, and very important um, because now it doesn't feel like that's the same anymore. It doesn't feel like it ever will be, but historically it seems like the comps were the way everybody found out, you know, it was pre-internet. So I guess that's the way to do it. Yeah, it, it really was, man. And it's a long dead art form, unfortunately, but um, yeah, man, old things like New York hardcore where the wild things are, it, you know, there were some real classic ones uh, back in the day that, you know, that 
in, introduced me to a lot of different like New York hardcore bands. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, uh, it's a long lost art. But yeah, breaking. I mean, um, the East Coast Assault was great. The Call for Unity was great for us. Uh, people definitely would know when we would play either song from uh, those two comps when we would go, uh, because you know, like you said, you would just get introduced to new bands that way. There wasn't the internet. So um, between that and looking at other bands, thank you list to find bands that are referenced. That's another way we used to, to learn about new bands. You know, you'd get a, a gut instinct CD or whatever and open a seven inch and open it up. Oh, look, they thank these three other bands. So now you got to go find their stuff. Um, so that was always a big thing to make sure you gave shout outs to all your friends band in the liner notes. Yeah. I, you know, I still, open new records, CDs, seven inches, whatever. And I still look for a thanks list. And it's, it's, it's kind of dying out. Not a lot of people do it anymore, but that's, that is still like, I don't know if it's just muscle memory, you know, I just go to it. That's, that's where I want to see some names. Um, yeah, particularly if exactly. stuff I haven't seen before, but it's not really there anymore. Yeah. Another dying art form. Thanks. Internet. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks to the internet. I was once uh, brought upon a, a terrible rap song that sampled bringing back the glory are you familiar with this <laughs> no but, uh, oh man i, I wish i wish i had like to play for you or something but i feel i thought i thought you would have some information on it but no it's just a it's just some shitty rap song and they they do the bring back the glory glory uh chorus in the middle <laughs> like they totally rip off the chorus but <laughs> no but you know what now that you've mentioned that it's for some reason that sounds familiar so maybe i've heard it but it's just not coming to memory right off the top of my head but uh i have heard of some interesting samples and you know cuts on the on on the music so and it's interesting right before uh we got on this call i was just facebooking real quick and some dude from europe tagged me he's like hey i'm playing fake identity and he's on his guitar playing along with the record i was like whoa that's really cool that record's like 35 years old or some shit you know uh but uh so it's it's, it's really um i don't know uh, ingratiating all inspiring that people still listen to it i'm very happy and thankful well one of the one of the early well, I guess it's not too early, but one of the one of the people bands to cover Next Step Up was Dying Fetus. And I think that got a lot of recognition, but not necessarily by people who knew that it was a Next Step Up song. They covered Bringing Back the Glory. I don't know what year it was, but w- what was that like for you? And how did you find out about that? Oh, well, they they were our boys. You know, yeah. uh, we uh, you, I, like I said, I used to book a lot of shows. So, you know, I try to do shows and bring in death metal bands. And, you know, we played a lot of shows where there was a lot of crossover going on. Um, uh, Bruce, uh, Greg, who played guitar in our band, was friends with all those guys from Annapolis down where he grew up. And he had been playing in metal bands with all those cats. Um, so they had already um, covered an integrity song on one of their other EPs. And they they said, hey, man, we, we want to we're going to do this EP with all covers and we'd love to cover one of your songs. Is that cool with you? And I was like, yeah, of course, man. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I was blown away by how good it was. You know, they obviously did it way better than we did, but uh, I would see these uh, comments on YouTube uh, of like next step up shows and, you know, people go, why are these guys butchering dying fetus? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> only you, you know, well, that's that's funny. Well, um, 
Another uh, another bringing back the glory question I need to ask is who said it first? The B town, nothing but a B town. Uh, was it you or was it Bulldoze? Oh, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, we were both <laughs> playing shows around the same time. I think we probably recorded our song before them, but you know, those guys were bros. I mean, we play. I can't tell you how many shows I would bring them down for. We'd go up and play with them, and uh, it was we were very tight together. Yeah, I figure. I figured it's a hard one to hard one to nail down. I'm just trying to uh, just trying to start some like. 30 year old hey man starts a beef right you know yeah. it's funny because yeah. they just announced they're playing uh again uh, at the fya fest so i'm stoked yes. <laughs> that's that's what reminded me i thought well i gotta get to the bottom of this might as well start right here and uh you know whatever well, well, well the search remains um but <laughs> the, all these records are uh recently somewhat somewhat recently maybe within the last year became available to stream on uh on at least spotify they weren't there before do you guys actually have control of your own music i know gain ground had a lot of it but do you own it all now uh yes and it's funny because we were all just really lazy to be honest with you and uh you know the the contracts that we had with game ground were worth the fax paper that they were written on you know uh so they didn't really own the rights but uh you know they kind of set they sold the rights to good life records uh and then you know we talked to ed and i was like ed you don't own the fucking rights to this records man you want to reprint them <laughs> You're going to, you could do it, but uh, you're going to give me copies, you know, and you're going to pay us uh, because we never got paid uh, from game ground. But uh, Aaron, uh, God bless him, uh, finally got off his butt and uh, got everything copyrighted and loaded into a, a streaming platform. So you can get on iTunes and Spotify and uh, whatever else is out there, but it's only the, um, uh, a couple of other releases. It's uh, Intent to Kill, Fall from Grace, and Heavy, I think. I'm not sure if um, what else is on there. I should probably look yeah. it up. I think I think that sounds right. I think that's I think that's good. I don't think Breaking Point's on there, but that's pretty good. It's a it's a pretty good uh, selection. Um, have you guys ever considered reissuing those records? Yes, and actually, um, we've been thinking. And we, we uh, Aaron and I were just get uh, just together over the weekend talking about. Um, you know, he's got a, a, a company called Middle Aged Moguls uh, with his friend Tony from uh, Auto Bar. But you know, they do a lot of shirts, doing our merch uh, for a long time now, and we we're just really thinking of how to put together a really nice package to make it uh, more than just, uh, you know, like a, a reprint, but a uh, really nice uh, visual package with flyers and old pictures. And uh, so uh, as soon as we can get through the summer and stop beaching, maybe we'll get some progress made on that front. Oh, don't rush with that. Take your time. Take your time. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's been 30 years anyway, right? What's another six months. Exactly. Exactly. I, I want. I want. I want uh, vinyl reissues of Next Step Up. I want vinyl. Well, it would be first runs of Stout Records, um, but they can all wait, man. We've waited a long time for all these things, and they can. We can wait a little longer. But it'd be. Cool, it'd be cool to see. It'd be cool to have. Um, go more personally here. You yourself have managed to pretty much stick around Baltimore hardcore this entire time. I'm sure there was times you were more in than out, um, and, and vice versa. But 
what the hell keeps you coming back? I mean, I know there's like a lot of cliches about what's so great about it, but like, do you think it would be the same if it were a different city? Um, well, this is Baltimore, so no, there's no place like this is God's country. <laughs> but I think the that spirit does exist in places where there are real scenes, um, and it's a sense of community, of you know, family, of passion for the music and the people and um, creating spaces where people can gather and get crazy and, you know, listen to aggro music and dance like maniacs. There's always something that harkens me back to being a teenager and going to shows and, you know, being an outcast in my school, but meeting all the outcasts from all the other schools around Baltimore, you know, getting together in this place, these people that I still call family today, um, keeps me going. Nice. Well, how did, how do you, how are you liking, uh, what you're seeing coming out of Baltimore right now? Because it, it seems like every fucking three or four years, there's another band from Baltimore that kind of blows up. And right now we got two of them happening between turnstile and end it. Uh, like, we, and I know it's, I know sometimes you talk to older guys in the scenes and there's like some jaded fuck that st- attitude. And I haven't found that from Baltimore. So I'm just curious how you feel. <laughs> it's funny because as I'm thinking of my response, uh, I'm thinking about the end it player haters ball video where he's like, <laughs> fuck man, fuck your merch. <laughs> you know. Uh so but I, I I'm I'm super stoked, man. And I love the guys in End It, you know. I've been sharing practice space with those guys for a long time now. So uh I, I love seeing how they're blowing up, you know, and it's great to see uh that uh latest turnstile record blow up and just to see how you know people have gone nuts over it um i think those cats are cool they've been coming to shows for a long time uh so yeah queensway still kicking it man and you know tui i mean there's been a great like you said every few years there's been this great wave of baltimore hardcore and uh listening to it i can trace the roots all the way back into gut instinct you know i can hear that baltimore sound when i hear those bands and it it's nice that um that sound and that feeling is still there i don't know uh maybe i'm just jaded but when i listen to baltimore hardcore it all kind of sounds the same at the basic root i don't know you you do uh, a lot more uh music reviews what do you think about that is is there a see see, i i I disagree. I don't think there is a Baltimore sound. I think, and I think that's one of the things that I love about Baltimore hardcore is that that I can't, I have a hard time putting my finger on a sound from, and when you go through all like the big Baltimore hardcore bands and start at at Gut Instinct, go to Next Step Up, go to Stout, go to, I don't know who the next step there would be. Um, I don't know. Let's say Pulling Teeth, Ruiner, Trapped Under Ice, Queensway, turnstile end it all of those sound very different to me um all I'm them sound sure like hardcore bands but they, too. yeah <laughs> yeah but i'm sure i'm sure you could find something i'm sure there's something about it all maybe i don't know what it is but there's but there's one of the things i love about baltimore hardcore is that all the bands to me sound different doesn't mean they don't sound similar too but i like the i like the difference in the approach that everybody takes and how like uh in some cities it's like everybody's eating off the same apple and in baltimore they're all just eating fruit 
you know. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's, <laughs> That's a great analogy. Coming from it's, a vegan, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> it's just a, it's, it's something I really appreciate about the city scene. Yeah, I love the diversity too. And like I said, it's probably I'm jaded, and it, it could be because. I've seen many of those bands at many shows over the years. So uh, when I hear them, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can, sounds like Baltimore to me. <laughs> oh, there's, they, they all got moments, right? Like uh, the the new ended record, the song, Come, The Comeback, that's a Baltimore hardcore oh, yeah. song. That's the last song. That's a, that's a 100% Baltimore hardcore song. And anybody who's ever been there is going to know it, right? Um, and you only got to be from there. You might just know it. Uh, but, but speaking of like, uh, you know, other Baltimore hardcore bands and paying homage to, bands that came before him when tui threw in nishinga motherfucker what did that do <laughs> for you and next step up because that was that was the introduction of that phrase to a lot of people out there but but they weren't the first to do it well I, i'm chuckling um uh first of all it's way cool mad props to the justice and the tui guys but i didn't know about it probably for five years until it was already out and somebody said <laughs> Hey, what's the Shinga motherfucker mean? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? You know, like people are always ask me, what's in the Shinga? Like, okay, like how's all of a sudden people want to know about the Shinga? You know, uh, so I had to explain it to some people, but uh, it was really cool. And then I found out, oh man, there. First of all, I found out there was an internet, you know, and I'm like, oh, this is where all the hardcore kids today get off my lawn. You know, this is where they uh, you know, get together and, and chat, and they're having like discussion threads about what they speculate the shinga to mean you know and its importance <laughs> to tui you know so it's really cool it's an honor but uh just like i said i chuckled because i didn't know what was out there for a couple of years until it had already been out yeah and it's 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 a it's a well-known like <laughs> phrase in hardcore now and uh and uh it's it's got to be credited to you guys you know that the shinga that's off of the that intent to kill ep you uh well, i mean maybe yeah. uh maybe justice helped make it make it a little more popular but uh you know take your credit <laughs> hey man i'll take it man mad with props and respect uh the justice thank you but uh, yeah um way cool well, you've you've done a lot of bands, not just Next Step Up. You've been in several um, punk, hardcore, metal, oi bands in Baltimore over the years. But it does seem you keep coming back to Next Step Up. And I know recently there's been some practices with Mr. Maven on drums. What's going on with Next Step Up now? Yeah, um, we are still jamming. We have had Matt Maben, yeah, filling in on the drums. He's our drummer now. Scotty P relocated down to Florida and broke up half the bands in the hardcore scene here in Baltimore. <laughs> so we had to replace him. Uh, but uh, also Mike Ayers, uh, original guitar player, is back in the band. So it's me, Mike, Aaron, and, and Matt uh, on the drums. And uh, we've been practicing. We're working on some new material. Uh, it's funny. We had that we were going to be playing that disturbing the peace fest uh, that happened <laughs> yeah. earlier this year, and there was a freak snowstorm that only impacted the Rehoboth Beach area. He got two <laughs> feet of snow. He had just moved there. It's like it never snows on the eastern shore, you know. So we had to cancel that show. He he couldn't get uh, off of um, off the shore. 
Uh, and uh, we had uh, another show lined up after that that we had to cancel. But uh, we've got a couple things that we've got planned for later this year, something in October and December, uh, out of state. Um, and then we're looking to get uh, a show in Baltimore. So, you know, we want to start playing a few more uh, shows more frequently. Uh, we want to record a new EP. We've got a couple songs in the works already. Um, so we're excited, but we're all also old and have lives. And, you know, it's uh, like I said, Aaron just moved to the beach. So uh, we haven't been um, on the same timeline that these newer bands are, you know. Yeah, but that's awesome. That's cool. Scott. I, lo- I love the way you guys are doing it. Just uh, pop in every now and then. You still seem like you're everybody still seems uh, invested in 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 the way that you are. like. I don't know. It just seems it seems like the responsible way to do hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> like, like as as an as an adult, as, that's as your father's hardcore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I like um, it. But you know, we have all been through so much. We're like family anyway, you know. And uh, you mentioned being in other bands. So me and Matt and Aaron uh, were with Chuck and Mike in Bet the Devil, uh, and matt was also playing drums in my other band wake up cold um he used to roadie for next step up we've taken him to europe as a roadie before so you know he's been a part like a part-time member of, of next step up over the years anyway so it just felt like you know a family thing you know we just enjoy each other's company and hanging out and telling stories of crazy shows and road you know tours in the past so um if nothing else it's good therapy for us to get together and you know make angry music uh what is the coolest thing you've gotten to do because of next step up and hardcore uh ooh. uh probably travel and meet really cool people um that's got to be my number one thing um because of hardcore music and because of next step up you know i got to go to europe um I grew up, you know, kind of lower middle class, basically poor first person to graduate college in my family. And we didn't travel much. I had never been out of the country before. So, you know, being able to book a tour, you know, especially back before the computer, you know, we did it all by fax. It was really, really weird (laughs) looking back uh, with Gang Ground Records. But, um, you know, to have been able to leave Baltimore, uh, and to find that there would be receptive audiences, you know, all throughout Europe and in, in Asia, you know, it's it's been uh, amazing. Well, uh, speaking of just le- leaving Baltimore, you did get outside of Baltimore quite a bit, but I don't know how how far did Next Step Up actually go in the '90s? Like, where uh, touring wise, where did you play outside of Baltimore? Well, yeah, you know, that it's funny because m- most of the touring we did has been out of the country because it's easier to do in other places, especially now that with the Internet. But it was hard to book shows um, back in the 90s. You had to know somebody in the neighbor, you know, in a scene and you had to get their number. You know, you had to you know, know somebody who knew somebody who knew Dan Crowley, you know, and then get, get Dan's number and then convince Dan, hey, you know, I book shows or I'm in a band and i want to come and play and 
you know, Saskatchewan or some shit on a Wednesday. So it was when Next Step Up would play, we'd be doing like two and three date weekend runs up the East Coast or, you know, down a little further south or west. But it was definitely localized to the East Coast, you know, uh, mid-Atlantic area. Um, and then we, from there, you know, went all through Europe multiple times and Japan a couple times. Um so it's just weird how that happened. It's very cool. No, it's, I, I, I think it, I look back on some of the flyers from you guys playing like Reading and uh, which is, you know, close to me now. And it's like, damn, those are some good shows. I, <laughs> and oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's very cool to see your name. Unisound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Man, there's some good people up there. All those cats from BFL and Strength for a Reason and, you know, uh, Wisdom and Chains those guys I've known from going to shows back in at the Unisound in Reading, you know, in 92, 93, 94. Um, so it's cool to see you were asking earlier in another question, Hey, could, could that feeling or spirit, is it just local to Baltimore? I said, no other city could be Baltimore, but that same spirit of a family and hardcore community does exist. And, you know, we still hang out with some of those people from Reading from back in the day.
So there you have it. That was my conversation with JR. And the song you just heard was one we talked quite a bit about earlier in the episode. Nishinga, off of the Intent to Kill EP, also on Game Ground Records. Big thanks to JR for coming on and talking to me. He's always been a welcoming presence in the Baltimore hardcore scene, especially to me in the years that I came as an outsider, even. So I appreciate that. I appreciate his time. I appreciate his band. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode of the podcast. If you're new to it, Check out the archives. we got a lot of Baltimore hardcore talk, a lot of Baltimore bands in general. Off the top of my head, this year alone, we've had Stout, we've had Misery Index, we've had Neolithic, we've had, that's all I can remember right now, End It, Luxury Teeth, I see, I can remember more. It's been a lot, all right? It's, there's a lot of Baltimore love from Getting It Out podcast, and uh, that will likely continue. Don't forget to check out Brainwaves, who you heard at the top of the show. And I'm going to play you a new song from another band I just discovered from Maryland with Jared Henry on bass. If you don't know who Jared Henry is, you should. Great guy. Glad to see he's got another band going. It's called Ninth Realm. But before I play you this song, I want to encourage you to go to gettingitout.net. Check it out. You can find all these bands and their pages on that website. You can find every episode I've ever done of Getting It Out podcast on that website. And you can read news, reviews, and so much more on the best music website in the whole internet. All right, that's going to be it for this one. Take some time to kick back and listen to some thrash metal goodness, some crossover, some whatever you want to call it. This is Ninth Realm, and the song is called Plea to the Heavens. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.